Please remain standing for the reading of God's word and turn in your Bibles to Acts 2, 37 through 41. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, as you may know, uh, last week, or the week before last, I was able to attend the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. What that means is that every year the teaching and the ruling elders in our denomination are invited to come together for our assembly uh, to deal with the matters of the church as a whole. And this year we met down in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, we had a good time together uh, enjoying one another's fellowship, uh, but also doing the business of the church business may not have been that enjoyable. The fellowship was probably a little more enjoyable, um, but we did do uh, some rather monumental things during that time in the assembly. Um, the, the year prior, when we had met together in Chattanooga, Tennessee, there was a personal resolution that came from the floor, and it came from Jay Ligon Duncan and Sean Lucas. Uh, Ligon Duncan is the current chancellor of RTS. That means he's head over all the campuses of RTS. That is a position that Rick Canada used to hold. Uh, for those of you who know and love Rick Canada, uh, Ligon Duncan has succeeded him in that position. And Sean Lucas is a current professor at uh, RTS in Jackson, and he's also pastor of the historic First Presbyterian Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi as well. Uh, you know a church has been around a while when the word historic is thrown into the name. Um, but uh, they brought up a resolution to the floor last year that uh, sought for racial reconciliation and also uh, confession of sin in terms of racism uh, across the denomination. And uh, it was in light of the racial tension that had been caused by uh, things like uh, Ferguson, of the death of Freddie, Ger Freddie Gray, Trayvon Martin, uh, various other events that have happened over the last several years. Um, and it called uh, to repent of past and present sins of racism and reach for racial reconciliation across our denomination. Um, in proper Presbyterian fashion, 
Uh, it was debated thoroughly, uh, not whether or not we should repent of a sin of racism. I think that was obvious. But how we should do it and in uh, proper order. Uh, we're Presbyterians are all about proper order. So uh, the, the assembly didn't feel like the resolution was thorough enough and it needed to be cleaned up. And so they sent it back and the presbyteries were going to look over it, pr produce their own resolutions. And uh, at this assembly is when we would officially vote on it. That's how we do things as Presbyterians. We want to get it right. So uh, this past year, there were over 40 overtures to our General Assembly uh, from various presbyteries regarding uh, racial reconciliation, the sins uh, past and present of racism across our denomination. And uh, there was uh, a vote on Overture 43, and I'm going to read part of that for you. Uh, because part of what I have been charged as uh, a pastor in this denomination is to bring this to our local churches. So uh, I'm going to read part of it, and this is uh, Overture 43. It says, Therefore, be it resolved that the 44th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America does recognize, confess, condemn, and repent of corporate and historical sins, including those committed during the civil rights area, era and continuing racial sins of ourselves and our fathers, such as the segregation of worshipers by race, the exclusion of persons from church membership on the basis of race, the exclusion of churches or elders from membership in the presbyteries on the basis of race, the teaching that the Bible sanctions racial segregation and discourages interracial marriage, the participation in and defense of white supremacist organizations, and failure to live out the gospel imperative that love does no wrong to a neighbor. That's Romans 13, verse 10. And uh, the overture goes on to confess uh, other past and present sins in regards to race. And as I mentioned, it urges the presbyteries and the local churches and even individuals to consider their own hearts in regards to racism and to humbly confess our own sins. Um, as uh, the overture was passed, and uh, I'll be writing up a, a series of articles uh, kind of uh, demonstrating what went on in our assembly so that you guys are aware of what's going on in the larger denomination, and uh, we'll produce that sometime over the next couple of weeks uh, so that you can see the, the full overture and the reaction to it and things like that. Uh, but after it passed, we spent some time as an assembly in corporate confession of sin, and it was a very sweet time, I will say that. Uh, to be together with all the other, or with many of the other teaching and ruling elders in our denomination, and just spending time in corporate confession of sin. Uh, it was very sweet. And then after that, uh, it was requested that we all stand up and sing uh, the song, It Is Well. And the, the third verse was very poignant, especially poignant for me. Uh, if you recall the third verse, it goes like this. It says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole. It is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And to be able to sing that song with brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to confess our sins corporately, um, it, it was very powerful. Uh, and I really appreciated that our denomination was willing to do that. Uh, as I was reading through Acts chapter 2, and preparing for the message this morning, 
uh, I realized how important it is to be a part of a denomination that is willing and does confess their sins, even sins of decades past. One of the struggles with this resolution for many people was that it was confessing the sins of the past that we didn't necessarily have a part in, especially the PCA that wasn't even around during the civil rights era. What right do we have to confess those sins? Um, well, uh, I agreed with the resolution, and I think that it is warranted for us to be even confessing the sins of our past. And uh, I am very grateful that we are part of a de denomination that confesses. Because when we are part of a denomination that no longer confesses its own sins, and even the sins of the past, we need to be on high alert. So as we look at Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41, uh, we're going to see a few things this morning. Uh, there's a lot going on in these uh, short verses. Um, so even though Heath and I have planned out the next several weeks, uh, I think I'm going to throw him a curveball again and come back to this uh, again next week. Um, because there's just so much material in these four verses uh, that we can't possibly cover them this morning. But as we celebrate the sacrament of communion, what we're going to focus on is the reaction of the people and what Peter uh, urges the people to do after they hear this sermon and they hear the gospel and allow this to draw us then into the celebration of communion this morning. So as you see in verse 37... As Peter gets done with his sermon, this great sermon on the day of Pentecost, um, the people are cut to the heart. And they ask the disciples there, they ask, brothers, what do we do? So the proper response to the gospel being preached is to ask this simple question. What do we do? We have just heard this good news of salvation. What are we supposed to do? Peter had just got done preaching by the power of the Holy Spirit, demonstrating to the crowd that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And he convicted their hearts by saying that you are the ones that have crucified him. You are the ones. And they in the crowd were simply struck by the gravity of the moment, by the gravity of what they have done to the man who was their Lord and their Christ. I can imagine in their hearts they were feeling this, that, oh, I have done such a terrible thing. And the question is this, how can I make it right? I have done this awful thing. What can I do to make it right? And that is good and effective preaching. It presents the gospel. It evokes a response from the people. But the reason that it is so effective, and it's not because Peter is such an amazing preacher it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It is because of the gospel. So, the people are cut to the heart. They ask this question, brothers, what do we do? And then Peter responds. He responds with two things. He says, repent and be baptized. And when you do, you will receive the power or the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. So what does it mean to repent? So the people have realized that they have done this terrible thing in the crucifixion of Jesus. Peter has convicted their hearts, and he has said, you are the ones 
that have crucified the Lord and the Christ. You know, if you were a kid and you broke a window, your parents would then most likely say, well, you're going to have to pay for that. If we do something wrong, there has to be payment for it. That happened to me when I was a kid. Um, But instead of paying for their sins, Peter calls them to do something different. Instead of them trying to make it right somehow, he simply tells them to repent of their sins. Because in an act of dramatic irony, this is what happens in the gospel. Their sin was crucifying Jesus, but the result of their sinful action led to their forgiveness. It was the fact that Jesus was crucified that allowed for them to be forgiven. They couldn't go pay back the debt that had been done. But that was the whole point of the death of Jesus, wasn't it? Is that he paid the debt. It's like they broke the window and he paid for it. They did not have to pay the debt any longer. So, there's nothing more to be done at this point except to repent, to admit your sin, and to turn from it. And we need to be reminded of what it means to repent. It's not just a a feeling of guilt for your sin. It's like, oh, I did something wrong and I feel really bad about that. It's, It's feeling that guilt, acknowledging your sin, and then turning from it and turning to Christ. Repenting isn't just feeling sorry. It's hating your sin confessing it to God, and then turning from it. So this is what Peter is telling the people to do, is to repent, turn from your sin, and turn to the Lord. So he tells them to repent, and he tells them to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. So we need to address one theological question here very quickly. So does that mean in order to receive forgiveness of our sins, we need to be baptized in the name of Jesus? And the answer to that is no. That's not the case. Because how do we receive forgiveness of our sins? It's through faith in Christ. And we have a very prime example of that in the, in the New Testament. Uh, the thief on the cross. Did he, was he baptized in the name of Jesus in order to receive the forgiveness of his sins? No, he wasn't. We know that on that day, he was with Jesus in paradise. So we receive, and we need to be reminded of this, we receive forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not baptism that saves us from our sins. Baptism is an outward sign of the inward reality that has happened inside of us. I'm reading from our book of church order, Uh, 56-4, this is what our book of church order describes baptism as. It is a seal of the covenant of grace, of our engrafting into Christ, and of our union with Him, of remission of sins, of regeneration, of adoption, and of life eternal, that the water in baptism represents and signifies both the blood of Christ, which taketh away all guilt of sin, original and actual, and the sanctifying virtue of the Spirit of Christ against the dominion of sin and the corruption of our sinful nature. So we need to understand what baptism is and what it signifies. 
that baptism doesn't wash away our sins. Faith in Christ washes away our sins. Baptism instead is a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace. It represents this washing away of our sins, but it doesn't actually accomplish that. Christ's death accomplished that for us. So what Peter is saying here is that the proper response to the hearing of the gospel being preached is this, to repent of our sins and to believe that our sins are washed away by the blood of Christ, which is represented outwardly by the sign and seal of baptism. Now we're going to stop with that verse this morning. Um, I know that it goes on in, in verse 39, and it's a verse that I quote often as we do uh, our baptism uh, services here, as we celebrate that sacrament. So if you're wondering if I'm going to go into the defense of infant baptism, we're going to save that for next week. Uh, we're going to save verses 39 and 40 and 41. I believe those are also very powerful verses that we need to address. Uh, and so we're going to save that uh, for next week. But what Peter is telling uh, the crowd here is that in response to the gospel, we have two things that we need to do. And I, and I titled this sermon, uh, The Dance of the Christian, because it's a, in a sense, it's a two-step that we need to do. And that's we need to repent and we need to believe the gospel. And when we do that, uh, Peter goes on to say, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit fit into this picture then? So when we repent and we are baptized, then do we receive the Holy Spirit much like Jesus did at his baptism? If you remember, he went and was baptized by John, and as he was coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came down and descended on him like a dove. So is that, is that what happens when we're baptized? The Holy Spirit kind of descends on us? Uh, is that where the Holy Spirit shows up? Well, um, a, a yes and a no. Um, we know that in order for us to even get to the point where we would repent of our sins, where we would believe in the gospel, we need the Holy Spirit working in our life already. What this means is that without the Holy Spirit, there is no repentance. The Holy Spirit must be at work in our lives in order to drive us to repentance. Uh, we talked this morning in our catechism class about our sinful nature, that we are corrupt in every part of our being, and that we call that original sin. So without the Holy Spirit working in us, we can't even be driven to repentance and belief in the gospel. So the Holy Spirit doesn't come after repentance and belief. The Holy Spirit is necessary for repentance and belief. But it's also true that the gifts of the Spirit are a result of our repentance and faith in Christ as well. And what are these gifts of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 22 and 23, very familiar verses for us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there are no law. So as we repent and believe the gospel, and repent and believe the gospel, and repent and believe the gospel throughout our entire life, uh, the gifts of the Spirit become evidence, or become evident in our lives. 
So what does this mean for us? So the gospel message delivered by the power of the Holy Spirit demands a response in our lives, and that response is the two-step of the Christian life of repenting of our sins and believing in the gospel. Um, I'll be honest, I often, um, sorry, repent and believe, and then we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what I realized this past week is what often happens is that I get the order backwards, is that I desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit without doing the two-step of repentance and believing in the gospel. Um, I seek in my life to, to love more or to have more joy or to have more peace, uh, certainly to have more self-control. And as I look out at the lives of others, I desire that for them as well. Uh, I desire my kids uh, to be more peaceful, to practice more self-control, to show more kindness to one another. But Peter said, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this order is important. Because if we're attempting to gain the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or to live according to the Spirit without repenting and believing in the gospel, we will always be attempting to live the Christian life in our own strength. And what we'll be doing is always tending towards legalism, towards moralism. We'll be attempting to conjure up these characteristics um, by our own strength. The Pharisees were the ones who did this. They were attempting to do this when they created all their laws and all their restrictions. But how did Jesus feel about the Pharisees? If you remember in our study of the book of Luke, uh, he was the most critical of them. So attempting the gifts of the Spirit from a place of personal strength never works. It never works. Instead, love, joy, peace, patience, all the others, they come from a place of humility. They come from a place of weakness. They come from repenting and believing the gospel. Attempting the gifts without repenting and believing comes from a, a belief that the problem is with our behavior. It's with our outward acts. But in reality, what the problem is, is with our hearts. And that's what repenting and believing does. It gets to the issue, and that's our hearts. So what happens in our hearts when we repent and believe the gospel? We become more and more humble, and we understand more and more our weakness. And honestly, that is a good thing. Don't let anyone ever tell you that weakness is a bad thing. When it comes to the Christian life, weakness is a very good thing. The Bible tells us that when we are weak, it is Christ who is strong. The fruit of the Spirit can only be produced in hearts that are willing to repent and believe the gospel because the fruit of the Spirit are produced in weakness and they're produced in humility, not in a place of strength. So let's imagine that we lived our lives without repenting of our sin. First of all, why would you do that? And how could you do that? Um, the reason that we would be unrepentant is because we didn't believe that we had anything that we needed to be repentant of. So if we don't repent, it's because we don't believe that we need to be repenting for our sin. In other words, we don't believe that we're really that bad. 
That is a very arrogant stance for us to take. Now, I don't believe that anyone actually thinks that they're perfect. Uh, we do have a tendency to think that, you know what, I'm at least better than that person or that person. Uh, they have more to repent of than what I do. Uh, they definitely need to spend more time doing that. But in reality, because of our original sin, we all need to be repenting and on a daily basis. If you never repent of your sin, how can you truly believe the gospel? Because you wouldn't feel as if you need the gospel, would you? Because what is the truth of the gospel? Is that we have a great God who has sent his son to save us from our sins. If we don't believe that we need to repent of our sins because we don't believe that we're that sinful, how could we possibly believe in a Christ who has come to save us from those sins? And if we don't believe in the gospel, how can we display the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? But imagine a person who does the dance of the Christian life, who does this two-step, who repents, and not only just one time, but repents daily, even hourly, even minute by minute of the sins that they commit in their lives. How do you think that would affect them how does that, in a sense, lead to the gifts of the Spirit that Paul, or excuse me, that Peter mentions this morning? Repenting of your sins and believing in the gospel produces the gifts of the Spirit in your life, and through these things, God is transforming our hearts. A person who repents of their sin despises their sin, as we talked about in repentance, and they desire to turn away from, from their sin and turn to God. So in this repentance, what we do is that we realize our sin more and more, and we hate it more and more. You realize the depth of it. You realize the ugliness of the sin in your own heart. And how can a person who truly plums the depths of their own sinful heart display any sort of pride or arrogance? If we were truly to plumb the depths, we would be very humble people. Instead, the act of repentance creates a sense of our own weakness. It causes humility in our lives. And then the gospel gloriously breaks into the scene. Because in the depths of our own ugliness, of our hearts, Christ enters in. In a place where we would not want anyone else to see, yet alone visit, Christ enters in. He takes all the filth, all the ugliness of our hearts, and he nails it to the cross. Like it says in the, in the third verse of it as well, it says, oh, my sin, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, even the depths, the ugliness of it, is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. What a freedom that comes from believing that Christ has loved us with such a depth of love that in our sin, at our very worst, Christ died for us. Now obviously the this, this Spirit is working in us at this point so that we will repent and believe the good news of the gospel. We cannot do it without the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit also flow from repenting and believing how can we lo not love others when we have been shown such a great love by our God and Father? How can we not have joy because of the joy 
set before us. What a great peace we have knowing that our sins have been forgiven. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these things flow from knowing that God has loved us so much in Christ and that he has set us free according to the gospel. So the answer is this. It's not that I need to love more. The answer is that I need to repent of the times when I do not show love. That I need to repent of not loving like I should, and I need to be reminded that it is God who loved me when I was at my worst through the sacrifice of his son's death on the cross. And because God has loved me and forgiven me, I am now free to love God and to love others. And this is the daily dance routine that comes uh, from us through the power of the Holy Spirit, that this dance routine that we do until the time of our death, from the time of our justification to the time of our glorification. And if you dance like I do, it's not pretty often. Um, And the process of our sanctification is often not pretty. It's through trial and through struggle. But this is what God is calling us to do, is to do this dance with him of repentance and believing the gospel. Our entire lives are to be lived in repenting and believing. Every day we should be asking as the people of Pentecost at Pentecost did, what should we be doing? And the answer is repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's why I'm so grateful to be a part of a denomination that is willing to repent and believe in the gospel. And I pray that our denomination will continue this dance as long as she is in existence. I pray that Trinity will continue to do this dance of repentance and believing in the gospel. That we as individuals would repent and believe. Because the day that we stop repenting is the day that we stop believing the gospel. It's the day that we stop displaying the gifts of the Spirit. It's the day that we stop being powerful witnesses of the gospel, as Jesus calls us to in Acts 1.8, which is our theme verse as we go through the, the book of Acts now. So as we come to the sacrament of communion this morning, let's come together this morning repenting of our sins, believing in the gospel, and being filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're about to come to the table and celebrate this great sacrament. And as we do, we are reminded that this sacrament is the gift of God and it is for the people of God. It's a sign and a seal for those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And so if this is your reality, if you are a member in good standing of an evangelical church, have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, As your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come to the table of our Lord. But if this is not your reality, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in your life, as we have talked about this morning, that he would draw you to repentance and belief in the gospel. But until that is a reality in your life, we ask that you would simply refrain, that you would reflect on the goodness of the gospel, of what God has done for us in Christ Parents, as we always say, uh, use this as an opportunity to share the gospel with your children. 
uh, as you explain to them the great love that God has displayed through the crucified body and the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we come to the table this morning, we're going to come in repentance and being assured of our forgiveness. As Heath mentioned this morning, we're going to come as we and pass the peace that we receive from the repentance of our sin and the assurance of our pardon as well. And as we do that, I'm going to read the institution of the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 11 that will draw us then into repentance of our sins. This is 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 and following. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. 